This episode is brought to you by Shopify. Forget the frustration of picking commerce platforms when you switch your business to Shopify, the global commerce platform that supercharges your selling wherever you sell. With Shopify, you'll harness the same intuitive features, trusted apps, and powerful analytics used by the world's leading brands. Sign up today for your $1 per month trial period at shopify.com slash tech, all lowercase. That's shopify.com slash tech. Welcome to Taking Care of Lady Business, where we put the business back in lady business. Hosted by Jennifer Justice, founder and CEO of the Justice Department, a management strategy and law firm that works with female and woke male entrepreneurs, executives, talent, brands, and creatives to build and maximize their wealth, focusing in the areas of tech, consumer product, finance, media, entertainment, and fashion. Jennifer interviews entrepreneurial women who have done it all, who will be sharing their secrets on all things business, especially as a woman. These highly successful women will share strategies and insights including what not to do and what it takes to win. And now, here's your host, Jennifer Justice. Hello, everyone, and welcome to this episode of Taking Care of Lady Business. Today, we have Julia Haber. She is the co-founder and CEO from Home from College. Home from College. I've not had to say that for a long time, so... How are you? I'm good. How are you? Thank you for having me. Thank you for being here. I'm excited because you're probably one of the first people we've had on with a real Gen Z audience, customer base, clients, however you want to define them, because we're going to hear what we're home from colleges and you'll tell us what. And, you know, it'll be amazing to hear what you are seeing in this crazy new generation of people who have had to go through so much in such a short period of time in their life from now war and COVID and I mean, technology, TikTok. It is a time to be (laughs) young. I mean, I think for everyone, it's really challenging, but when you don't have the skills necessarily to know how to handle all of the crazy things in the world, it can feel a lot more challenging, but um I'm excited to be here and thank you for including me and um, always enjoy our conversation. I know, me too. So let's start by saying, like, explain what is Home for College? Yeah, Home from College at the highest level is basically the place where students start their career from a professional standpoint. It is a LinkedIn-like platform where companies have direct access to Gen Z to work with them for a variety of needs that could be short-term projects like do a research study for me on, you know, what market we should open in a college campus or create a TikTok strategy for our business or help run an event we have on a campus, XYZ. Our intention is to be this one-stop shop for companies' needs from a marketing and recruiting perspective so that they can reach diverse Gen Z students from all places. And on the student side, we're really positioned almost like their cool older sister and making career feel accessible and exciting. And we really, our goal is to help advocate for students who don't necessarily come from access and need help getting their foot in the door. So how does that work? If you are at a client, you know, if you're, you want to get into the job market. Yeah. So the way we work is essentially as a direct to consumer platform on the student side. So our, our tagline is get real experience, not coffee. Um, and students come onto our platform and create what we call these HFC resumes. And these resumes capture about 50 data points 
emphasizing on who you are rather than what you've done. So we capture interests, passions, hobbies. Um, we think a lot about qualitative questions and give students a chance to answer questions that we call IQs. So brands can understand how they think, how they problem solve rather than just what they've done. And every week we drop between five and 10 different gigs, which are these flexible short-term opportunities that students can participate in. And they're all year round and they're always intended to be supplemental to whatever you're doing. So they're not anything that takes away from your classwork. But our hope is that not to, you know, knock Starbucks business, Starbucks's business, but to give students a chance to make alternative revenue streams without having a ton of skill um, that helps them get their foot in the door to supplement their learnings in school and their passions. And so what about the people who are giving the jobs? Like how do you recruit yeah. them? Yeah, on the company side, we typically work with businesses that have a lot of evolving needs, which sounds, you know, pretty specific to this kind of startup world. So you could think of it as series, you know, C to series C businesses are the ones that have a lot of evolution without a lot of infrastructure. And there's always a need to have an extra hand. And our core customer typically on the company side is those who either are targeting Gen Z or need to have another, you know, hand up for across all of their needs. So this could be, you know, a consumer brand. We work with a lot of product-based businesses. So in the fashion industry, beauty industry, who want to get product in the hands of Gen Z and get their opinions and feedback, um, or businesses that just want, you know, Gen Z at the table to drive decision-making for brand strategy or have their feedback on a marketing campaign. So the flexibility of the platform allows companies to either hire students for these mini scopes of work to build the relationship. And if it works, keep them forever um, or use it as more of a sounding board for all of their marketing needs from, you know, just getting access to a lot of diverse opinions. And it's all remote. Yeah. So it's typically, I'd say 90% of the roles are remote. You have the ability to target based on where you want it to be. Some some businesses are opening, you know, or launching product in different grocery stores and they have regional, you know, demographics and geographic mandates. So they can target, but I'd say 90% of the roles are remote. And so how do these businesses find you? How do they find home from college? Yeah, I, I would say it's just been a crazy word of mouth so far. We launched the business about a year and a half ago and we just had immediate product market fit on both sides because, you know, college students always need experience and want access and they want an easy way to do it. And given kind of the the tech landscape and the marketing landscape today on how hard it is to acquire customers and how confusing Gen Z is to brands, it was just a need for businesses to have direct access to them. So we really found a foothold in the, I would say, seed to series a, you know, seed and series A businesses really gravitated to us. And then as they evolved over time, they've either introduced other businesses or loop in their investors and say, hey, all of your portfolio companies should use this. Um, so we've been taking a really organic approach to make sure that the companies we work with really authentically want to invest in the process of supporting the student. Um, because this is not necessarily just about, you know, gig-based work that you could get overseas and it could be much cheaper. It's about fostering the relationship with people young and helping bring them up in the workplace so that hopefully they can be a good fit for you for your needs over time. Right. Especially given this last market where when they are released from college, 
like, and you're working virtually or half the team is, or, you know what I mean? It's like really totally. hard to find your fit, you know? Absolutely. It's super interesting because we did a survey and we saw that I think like 87% of Gen Zers actually want to go into the office when they graduate college, which is so interesting because, you know, the millennials and the people in the middle of their career, like, they're like, I did it. I've done it. I need quality of life. Maybe the senior leadership want people there because they think it will, you know, promote a more diverse or cultured work environment. But the young kids, they've never had real work connection and experience. And I know growing up for myself, even my earliest internships were so impactful because I was in person and I could go get coffee with someone. They've never had that real relationship building experience. And Mm -hmm. even in college too, you know, they've been really struggling to find that sense of connection over the last couple of years. So it's just interesting. No, I know for me too. When I graduated college, I was like, I had no network. I had no idea. I couldn't afford to do a free internship. I needed to make money, you know? So it was all jobs that I was doing jobs that I was never interested in since sometime I'm 14. You know what I mean? It was right. a career, it was a job. So right. you know, you're, you're like helping them nurture what they want to do in their career. And a lot of times what you think you want to do at 17, 18, 20, like you do, you know, you don't want to waste your time years out of college to figure out that's not what you want to do. But if you can get this experience and be like, oh yeah, this is not at all fun. <laughs> We joke because we're like, we're trying to prevent the quarter life crisis because a lot of kids at 25, they take on, you know, one or two jobs in different industries that they thought they wanted to do or the only places they could get jobs. And then they get to 25 and they say, oh my God, I hate everything I just did. I don't have any transferable skills to different industries. I don't know what I want to do with my life. And they feel derailed. And our goal is to help students be compensated for every opportunity they take on but do it supplemental to college. So there isn't this pressure to figure it all out once you've graduated and to have enough exposure to different things that can help guide you. You know, your path will probably change as most people's do, but to give you the support to know what you're good at and then figure out how you can apply it to different places. So I want to touch a little bit on like, you know, kind of what you just mentioned with the pivot, but I want to do, I want to go back a little bit to what you had said. Like you said, like a LinkedIn type place, like why isn't LinkedIn sufficient for these people or this generation in general? Yeah. I think it's important to identify really who we're, who we're speaking to and serving from the student standpoint. And we saw a huge opportunity to be a college student's person. You know, there's a lot of career platforms that help give companies access to different types of people, you know, whether engineers or marketers or graphic designers. But what we realized is there is no platform that puts students first and allows them to feel empowered in their process. And additionally, gives people at the earliest stage of their career who don't necessarily have a ton of transferable skills at this moment, but are really eager to learn a chance to show up in a way that they should be hired. Because if you look at most college students' LinkedIn's or even their resumes, there's not a ton of things on there that make you feel like you want to hire them. You know, maybe they've been golf caddies or Starbucks baristas or worked at local clothing stores. And that's all great. There's a lot of learnings to be done from that. But if you're competing against somebody who has four internships under their belt and goes to an Ivy League school, you are not being prioritized. So we said, what if we create 
this platform that allows students to shine for who they are, what they value, what they're interested in, and really target this group we call green go-getters. And these kids are really early in their career, really passionate and care a lot about contributing to businesses. And those are the kids you want to foster and train and give them the skills rather than those who are so cocky and already want to monetize on other places. This is the majority of college students. So the scary stat we learned is that 90% of college students graduate without ever getting an internship. So that's scary. If you think about it, maybe, you know, some people's inner circles are aware that, you know, people get people into their internships or people know people, but most kids are working multiple jobs during school and go to large public schools and they're sitting in lecture halls and doing, you know, things in in class that they realize they never want to do with their lives. And then they have, you know, graduation paralysis and not know even where to begin. So we are really targeting them at the earliest stage, allowing them to show up for who they are rather than what they've done on our platform. And that's something that LinkedIn doesn't do well. They emphasize your Rolodex of everything you've done and all the people you know, but that's not applicable to college kids. They don't have networks and they don't have experience and they don't have a ton of marketable skills yet, but they can be shaped. So it's kind of a, it's kind of tailoring based on the audience there's a lot of valid things about LinkedIn that work for people who have skills and experience to network, but that's just not the problem it's solving for students. And so you've been doing this a year and a half. Um, like, you know, what the success rate, how do you, how do you monitor that? Yeah. So we initially launched with this thesis of being, you know, a place where students can start their career. And we realized the most beneficial way would be to start with what we call these gigs um, because most students want experience and experience feels not that accessible. The future of this business we really see is being the place where resumes go to die, basically, where we can help students really showcase who they are and then gain some skills, but have this kind of digital currency of a resume that can live beyond, that can help them actually achieve their goals, whether it's in a career or whether it's defining their personal brand or helping them show up. So we started with gigs because we immediately saw that whenever we listed an opportunity with a company, we would gain about a thousand users just within the first day. Um, and we were a small platform initially, but we ideated this concept with about you know 250 students every other week for about six months straight. And we would bring them prototypes of what we were building. And we'd say, do you like this button or that button? Do you like this or that? And by involving them in the conversation, we tailored the platform to be something they needed. And we did that on the company side as well. We said, companies, you know, do you want to manage a group of 60 kids or do you just want to talk to them three times for one hour over Zoom and get a feedback form? Or, you know, what is the biggest thing you're needing help with today? And most of them say all the things that Gen Zers know that I don't, which is TikTok and content creation and brand strategy. So we took the learnings from both sides and said, you know, how can we productize this and scale it? We had initially done it in a non-scalable format to test the product and to test the need. And then we invested in really building out something that could be scalable. So the way we define success is really about connections on the platform. So placement rate is a little different because a lot of companies who lists roles on different places are, it's really typically a one-to-one, you know, I have a marketing internship, maybe there's two spots, but a lot of the roles on our platform are group initiatives. So we're placing that times, you know, 
a thousand kids for one gig, which is really rare. So we're really excited because we believe that if we can create a lower barrier of entry and a higher placement rate, then we'll have higher success for students wanting to come back. And our goal is really for students to experience five gigs before they graduate college. So for us, it's about creating opportunities that drive success on both sides and are specific enough where students can feel successful and value-driven enough for companies to want, you know, to continue to come back and create different roles that can give them access. Right. So, I, I mean, there was something really interesting. You and I were talking about this before that you were like, you know, they get experience, et cetera. And then what about feedback from the company? Like, does if the company, like, what I'm trying to say is you were really thinking about it from the college student, not from how the um, company felt about their work, but how they were treated as an employer gig worker, you know? Yeah, it's true. We started with saying, okay, how can we provide value to students and how can we find the right group of students that we envision could provide value to companies? Mm -hmm. We're not just going to the kids who are drinking natty lights on Saturdays and just, you know, you know, pissing away, away their college career. These are the kids that are super involved in things, really passionate, putting their foot forward, sending follow-up emails, applying to a lot of things and never hearing back. So it was important for us to first define who are the kids that actually would provide value to the companies and go figure out a way we could speak to them. Because then if we could attract them to our platform, there's a higher likelihood of success for companies for the quality of kid that we're bringing on and the value prop there. But What we then did on the company side is said, okay, what are your biggest pain points? And a lot of them are, I have no idea where to find Gen Zers. I don't know anybody's kid's son's daughter that's still in college that I can tap anymore. And I know that this next consumer that is about to be 30% of the general population is this whole breed that I have no idea who they are. And I don't have a sense of how I can even learn from them because I don't have access. And then the third part was that acquiring consumers and finding brand love with Gen Z is super hard because the customer acquisition costs are super high now. So we took all of those factors and said, can we create a platform that makes it really easy for companies to easily create these opportunities? And we said, long job descriptions are the worst. Let's make them specific and short and actionable and make it just a way that you can attract the right people. And you can always define it more specifically later. But we took a lot of time with our early partners to say, you know, is this a marketing need you have or is this a recruiting need? And we learned that there are two different solves that we have in that way. So over time, once we defined who the student consumer was, we spent a lot of energy in in defining the product on the company side so that it would be actionable for them to find the right people and learn everything they wanted to know about the students um, prior to even interviewing them so that there was a higher likelihood of connection between the students that you are not going to just reject all the resumes just because they don't, you know, have experience. We want to make them show up in a way that they could. Right. So give me an example of how that. Yeah. So we work with companies as wide as, you know, PBS. So public businesses that are a little bit more old school who are trying to reinvent themselves for a younger audience. For them, we are creating a TikTok advisory panel gig and saying, you know, they they have a ton of content that's a little outdated to it to a younger audience. How can they make their brand relevant to Gen Z? They said we we target them in the earliest stage of their career and earliest 
ages of life, you know, one to seven is PBS. And then when you're an adult, but they lose them throughout the whole consumer middle part. Mm -hmm. So they created a gig that is a Gen Z advisory panel with about, you know, I think it's going to be a hundred kids who are going to contribute to their strategy in terms of how they show up digitally. Other examples are typically, you know, we work a lot with beauty brands who have products and they want to distribute the product to a specific group of students who are interested in social impact, are beauty centric, care about sustainability, live in California, and they can basically target these groups based on who they want to be reaching and distribute product and do product testing initiatives and say, hey, did you like that packaging or do you wish that came in something else? Mm-hmm. Or did that last a long time? Or, you know, should we reformulate? Right. So those are the larger group initiatives, but sometimes we also do small scale, you know, one-off business development roles or um, more content development where it's really one person they're hiring for. So it, it can it can run the gamut. It typically depends on if it's coming from a marketing side or a recruiting side, and we can typically guide from there. So what what do you think are the major differences? It seems like Gen Z is just a population in and of itself, like totally different workers, what they want, completely different than millennials and anybody above. I mean, yeah. is that a true statement that you're saying? It, it definitely is. I think there's a lot of reasons why Gen Z is the way they are. Um, one of the things that I hear frequently from a pain point, from a millennial standpoint, is managing Gen Zers. Um, Gen Z is very easy and quick to set parameters on what they will and will not do, what their, you know, what their ultimate output is and what it will not be. Um, and I think setting those limits is something that millennials didn't do that well. And they overworked and they let their work become their whole lives. And there's this reverse of that where Gen Z is saying, I have a lot of things going on. I have multiple streams of revenue. My job is not my life. I have you know, many ways to diversify what's important to me. And this is part of my job. And it's, and it's one of the main reasons why we see about 50% of Gen Z says that they want to work for themselves um, one day. So it's just, it's crazy because I don't know if that would have been the case years ago. Um, but I do believe that there, that is one of the big parameters is setting limits in terms of what they will and will not do. And that takes form in a, in a million different ways. But I would consider that a big differentiator from a millennial worker. And that can cause a lot of issues if you're working at, let's say, an ad agency and you put in your hours and you stayed up long nights and you are now managing this quote unquote woke Gen Zer who won't come in or stay extra, you know, extra hours just because the job needs to get done, they set limits. So there's a pro con to all of that, but it's important to acknowledge kind of potentially where it came from and why they went the opposite direction. And I mean, to state the obvious, it came because they looked at us and said, what are you doing? Like, this looks terrible. Everyone's miserable in their job. The only people like it are the ones who are making a lot of money and they don't even really like it so much. So, yeah. Yeah, I would say the other big thing is transparency. Um, I think, you know, we're seeing this huge movement about um, salary transparency and understanding where you stand and what you're worth and your access. And there's no fear in asking kind of the more provoking, thought provoking or aggressive questions from Gen Z. They will be pretty straight with you. Um, they also are very aware of their worth. So free internships, though they're not even legal anymore, um, would never fly because yeah. Gen Z knows what potential value they bring to the table. And 
you know, it can seem at times entitled, but it also, if you look at it from the other vantage point and say, okay, you know, maybe I should have been doing this, but besides that, it's, it's just a cultural change in terms of how they perceive the world and what their access to opportunities just generally is because they grew up not just with phones, but with ultimate capability of what phones could always do and what the internet has provided. Yeah. I mean, what is a nine-year-old then? Are they Gen Gen Z? Z. Yeah. I think three is um, not Gen Z. Three is the next gen. But I mean, within Gen Z, there's like multiple sub-generations. I am the edge of Gen Z. So I am technically, depending on where you read it, either the first Gen Zer or the last millennial. People have kind of a toss-up. And Mm -hmm. between myself and college students is tremendous. And then from college students to high schoolers is another crazy block. And then from high school to elementary school, I mean, forget about it. They're going to just be completely different people. So I think this block of a generation is going to have to fragment because there are so many sub cultures within a generation. Yeah. Yeah, it's crazy. And so what do you think that what was the reaction to Kim Kardashian Kardashian saying to women, just, you know, get your ass up and work like it's just it's so interesting because, I mean, people talk a lot about this on TikTok. There's this like it girl phenomenon, which is the girl who puts on a mask every morning and goes for a mental health walk and drinks matcha and has an aesthetically pleasing apartment, but also works, but has limits and is financially successful. And what we're hearing a lot from millennials is that that it girl is only achieved when you have worked and you have put the grit in and the time and the energy. And there's this pushback saying that this younger generation doesn't understand what it takes to actually work. Um, My interpretation is there's two answers to that. One, there's this like fantasy of self-care that doesn't emphasize the amount you have to work. But then there is a sub to that, which is, guys, we need balance. Like, this is ridiculous. The only way we're going to be successful is by setting limits and balance. And I think there's two sides of that spectrum in terms of going too far in the self-care and not pushing yourself hard enough or, you know, being really strong about what that balance looks like and setting those limits. Mm -hmm. So it can, I mean, I think the response from Kim's comment could go in multiple ways. I think maybe some millennials are like, yes, that's right. Like we work hard and we had to do it in order to get to where we are today. And, you know, I think she got a lot of backlash because there wasn't context to that question. But and, I mean, generationally, it's so interesting to see how people perceive what working is, particularly yeah. because there are multiple ways people are making money these days that it's not just with in your nine to five that I think the perception of what working and what not working is, is very different. True. Now we saw that even with mothers over COVID, right? Um, So let's talk a little bit about how you got here, because as you just said, you're basically an older Gen Z, meaning you have not been out of college for that long. Um, And we never hit on this topic, you know, first, but um, so, you know, when I met you, you had a different business. Absolutely totally different. We met probably four years ago or five years ago. Uh, maybe when I just graduated college. Yeah, I think so. Yeah. Um, yeah. So my first business, 
I started while I was in school. I had the opportunity to intern at Spotify and Snapchat while I was in college. And it was a really eye-opening experience for me to think about the intersection of marketing and technology. And I went to the new house school in Syracuse in upstate New York, basically around nothing. And I saw this opportunity because brands were spending so much money to reach this younger audience. We weren't called Gen Z yet, I guess. I guess we were, but people weren't publicly talking about it in person and build relationships with them. But college campuses are really challenging and there are a lot of subcultures and legally there are a lot of restrictions in terms of companies being able to market to Gen Z or college students in person. Um, So I saw this opportunity to create an experiential agency that would work in relationship with the schools um, to build contracts with universities so that we could come onto campus and bring, you know, 40 foot experiential trailers that you see in, in Soho in New York or in different places and bring them directly on campuses. So we worked with Shopify, a bunch of other consumer brands, big companies that wanted to reach Gen Z on campus. And we build out these 40 foot trailers and bring them across, you know, I can't even create a number on how many campuses I've been to. I think probably over 70 college campuses in the U S and build these experiences in conjunction with students. So we'd say, okay, you know, Shopify, what kind you're thinking about entrepreneurship for a younger demographic, which campuses should we go to that resonate with entrepreneurship and what could that experience look like? And we built a network of about 60,000 students that we'd say, you know, help us build this experience on what you would want and bring it directly to their campus. So totally different in terms of not a tech product, very physical, you know, building these trailers, building these relationships and traveling around, totally different. But the thesis was similar in terms of giving access to college students and taking it through the lens of brand and be a partner to them. That was the initial business was called Wave. And so how did that pivot? And when did you realize that this is what you needed to do? Yeah, it's interesting because I actually had pivoted prior to the pandemic um, on Wave. I really enjoyed working with brands and I love the college thesis, but I got really burnt out from traveling to over 60 campuses. And I realized there was potentially an opportunity to take a more physical stance permanent on these campuses and build almost like mini Soho houses that were better career centers on college campuses where brands could occupy components of real estate in that space. And they'd be lounges and co-working spaces and be centered around career near campuses. So prior to the pandemic, I was raising money for this thesis of building these clubhouse spaces on college campuses. And we had already had four leases signed to launch our you know product in September, 2020. And I mean, literally the world said, just kidding, we have other plans for you and for everyone else in the world. And literally March 15th, I said to my co-founder, this business is not going to exist. And we reached out to our community of all of these kids who had just gone home from college. And I said to this woman who worked on our team on the marketing side, I said, what if I just buy the domain homefromcollege.com. I have no idea what it's going to be, but I think there's something about this big cultural shift that's happening because of the pandemic, but because of this fear-based moment of what am I going to do with my life? My whole security of college just went away. Um, 
And then we almost immediately threw up a landing page for homefromcollege.com and we started getting early signups and we grew to about 25,000 users just like within those first three months of kids under this thesis of help me figure out my career in this moment of panic and beyond because every moment is a panicking career and we just evolved from there. So really quick thinking, but um, I'm really happy we were able to move that fast. And through this whole thing, did you raise money? So we raised um, a pre-seed round uh, in July and we'll be raising a seed round in the next couple of months for home from college. Amazing. Yeah. And what was that experience like, especially given your age and your gender? You know, we talk a lot about on here um, about women not getting money, not getting venture money, you know, and in particular, you know, with all these younger businesses or businesses that are unicorns, but was run by a visionary, very young person just getting outed or ousted. And, you know, we're hearing all these stories now. The other factor I'd add to that mix is in a pandemic, nobody's meeting in person. So you're trying to fundraise over a Zoom screen box and there's nothing like an in-person relationship and grabbing coffee with somebody or understanding the vibe. It became really transactional where, you know, every investor gives you 28 minutes and it's this power dynamic where you're basically like asking for money in a zoom call when ultimately you want to understand if you have a good relationship and you should be working together. That's so hard to do over zoom and in a pandemic. And what I realized when fundraising was that, you know, firstly, like there's no easy answer to fundraising. If it ever comes easy, there's definitely a loophole. Like there's definitely something that isn't going to work. Um, There's too much at stake for everyone. And when money is involved, it gets complicated. So do not rush. Secondly, is that the people you take money from are the most important people. And it speaks volumes about who you are and what kinds of people you want to work with, but also who they are and who they've previously worked with. And it just shares a lot about, you know, what that relationship will be in the future state. But one of my mentors said to me, he was like, listen, Julia, there's no shortcuts. Like there's no way to do this quickly. If you're trying to raise a lot of capital and say, and, and, you know, sell your business quickly, it just will not work. It will implode. This is not how building something sustainable works. And I think that story of all these unicorns that raised all this money to just acquire all these users at a, at a net loss, and then they implode and they realize yeah. there was so many issues internally in these businesses that yeah. It just was, it just, I've had the privilege to now watch, you know, the last 10 years of businesses, some of the unicorns thrive and some of them demise. And that has been really formative for me to think about what kind of business we want to build and what does that look like for the future? Because, yeah, well, none of them know. have, have, um, have succeeded with the original team, right? It's like, you know, the founders out or, you know, moves to the side and like, more seasoned executives come in and, and that thing. And that's fine. That's yep. totally fine. Uh, as you and I discussed, it's like, you have to do what's best for the business. It's not about your ego. It's not about you. You know, you might have a great vision, but that doesn't necessarily know, mean that you know how to grow a business from, you know, 200 people to 2000 to 20,000. Right. It's you know, such a would? different skill set. I mean, yeah. it's, I mean, and it's not I think, fun. <laughs> no, 
And if, if you're thriving as an entrepreneur in the beginning, your business will inevitably, if it becomes super successful, become a more corporate business. That's yeah. just what happens. So maybe that's not in line with your personality, but I think it's important for founders to be able to detach their identity from their business because yeah. it, it is so easy to get caught up that you are the brand. And that can happen really easily because, you know, being the brand is important when you're building the business, but also knowing where to separate and when to separate before you get ousted and be self-aware enough to say, hey, I thrived between, you know, one employee and 50. And then once we got to 50, I realized this was a totally different skill set. And I was self-aware enough to say, I need this kind of help to support and step in before the board does, because yeah. nobody needs that. No, no, no. It's yeah, it's true. We've all been watching all of the shows about it now. Yeah. We're all out there. The other yeah. thing that drives me crazy is calling them unicorns. If unicorns yeah. existed, my daughter would have found them at ages two to seven. Trust me. Like, why do you call them a unicorn? They don't exist. No. Like, why would you call them something that does not exist? And it's um, also the fantasy of a unicorn isn't necessarily unbelievable. And I mean, it, was created because VCs wanted that billion dollar valuation. But what we've seen is so many businesses in this volatile market that get that billion dollar valuation and raise at that ultimately, depending on the market, can it can be worse for their investors yeah. because they will never be able to get to the capital you know, amount that they should because their valuation was too high. So yeah. it's just, and the, uh, the appeal for founders to have raised a lot of money at high valuation is so glorified, but ultimately it can be really problematic because it puts a different level of pressure that maybe your business is just not ready for. So true. True. Yeah. Um, well, thank you so much for all this. This has been, I'm sure, I mean, it's definitely insightful for me. I know it's going to be insightful for the audience. So I really appreciate it. Um, one of the things, well, the, the one question I ask everyone is, you know, as a woman, we're, you know, often given a lot of different advice that conflicts with who we are and as a gender and our own experience. So what is the worst advice you've ever received? So I think a lot about this when it comes to um, when I was young and in a lot of rooms and situations that I probably wasn't ready for. My first business put me in a lot of situations I was privileged to be in, but I was told by one of my older mentors that in order for me to be impactful in a boardroom with multiple successful people was that I could not go in there alone and that I would not be strong enough to be in there alone. And there was one particular instance where I was in a room at a company that had been very previously very successful with the whole executive team, about eight leaders in the business by myself as a 23-year-old pitching my business. And I was told that I needed to bring somebody with me a man who could help support my story and use them as a sounding board um, so that there would be a deflection from me. And it was such a disheartening feeling because it made me believe that I couldn't handle what was in that room. Um, and ultimately, I ended up bringing that other person because there was my first go around and I didn't know. And I realized that having that person in the room took away from my voice and my power and me being the person that they actually wanted to talk to, it became confusing for the team on who they should prioritize because it was an older man. And, you know, just by the stigma, people look at that person as more yeah. powerful. So 
if you're listening to this and you're younger or you're somebody in a boardroom that is with a young person and you can see that this is maybe their first go around, have an element of empathy, but also understand that they're trying their best and that the situation they're walking into is probably something new for them. But if you are young and this is your first go around, be confident to go in there and even make mistakes alone because you'll be more powerful and, and understand what you're capable of without having to lean on the crutch of other people. Right. Well, close your eyes and imagine that 23-year-old is, is a man instead of a woman and how you would be, how you would treat it differently. Exactly. Yeah. Exactly. Yeah. Well, this has been awesome. Thank you yes, so much. Thank you for People having me. Find you, find your services, find the company. How can they do that? Yes. Our platform is homefromcollege.com. Um, we're on Instagram and TikTok. You can also find me on all the channels as Julia Haber. But um, it's been so great chatting with you and love, you know, continuing our conversations in a more public format too. So thank you. For yeah. Me. Yeah. Yeah. No, thank you so much. Um, everyone else. Thank you so much for tuning in. I'm sure you learned a lot. I know I did. As I said, until next time, I'm Jennifer Justice.